The scripture reading this evening will come from Matthew, again, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. If you do happen to be using the Pew Bible, that's on page 950. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. One day there were three guys who were out hiking in the wilderness and they came upon a swollen river that was violently raging downstream. And and they had to figure out a way to cross this river. So the first guy decided he would stop and pray. And he prayed, God, please give me the strength to cross this river. And God instantaneously answered his prayer. All of a sudden, he, he had these strong, big arms and these strong, big legs, and he was able to swim across the river. It took him about two hours, but he made it across. Well, the next guy observed that. The second guy observed what happened, and so he said, he prayed, and he said, God, please give me the strength and the tools to cross this river. And just like the first guy, he instantly received what he asked for, and God gave him a rowboat, and he was able to row across the river, but it took him about an hour to get across as well. And so the third guy, after witnessing these first two, he said, I know what to pray this time. God, please give me the strength and the tools and the intelligence to cross this river. He was instantly answered as well. All of a sudden, he was turned into a woman, and she looked at the map and saw that there was a bridge upstream about two miles, and so she walked up there and crossed it. Tonight, we're going to talk about prayer. We're taking a short hiatus from our study of Abraham's life. We'll come back to that next week. I hope you'll join us next Sunday night as we look at the incidences of Genesis chapter 16, particularly with Hagar. But tonight, I want us to spend a little bit of time talking about prayer. You may recall, you may be aware that just last Sunday, January the 1st, I mean January, whoa, I'm skipping way ahead, December the 1st, we launched our month of prayer. Maybe you're receiving the email each day that's telling you which prayer you should focus on that day as part of this initiative. Maybe you're noticing it on social media. Maybe you've got a copy of the handout from the bulletin or you've looked at the posters that are put up. We're advertising this process because we want to contribute and help 
you have an active prayer life. We want all of us as members of God's family to communicate with him regularly through prayer. And so this month of prayer, the whole idea behind it is to help initiate or help improve or help reinvigorate your prayer life so that we're all praying as God intends for us to be. And tonight, with that having launched last week, I just want to take some time tonight to talk about prayer in hopes that it helps you continue to pray like God intends for you to pray. And uh, the thing I want to do tonight, I, I want us to just ask one simple basic question tonight. Why is prayer a blessing? Why is there a blessing in prayer? And, and I want to give you three very simple answers tonight a why, why, as to why prayer is a blessing. And I want you to consider those tonight. And, cons- and hopefully it will cause you to think about the importance of your own personal active prayer life. Why is prayer a blessing? Well, first and foremost, prayer is a blessing because prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a privilege. Let me explain what I mean. Scripture teaches us that God hears the prayers of the righteous, but not the prayers of the unrighteous. If you'll jump over to John chapter 9, there's a, the whole chapter is devoted to the story of the healing of this man who was born blind. And it's a a fascinating story for many reasons. It's a fascinating miracle for many reasons. But in John chapter 9, Jesus healed this man who was born blind. And throughout the remainder of the chapter, this man had to defend himself and Jesus to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees concluded that Jesus must be a sinner. You'll notice that in chapter 9 and verse 24. They concluded that Jesus must be a sinner because he healed this blind man on the Sabbath a day on which work was forbidden. But the man born blind argued that Jesus could not be a sinner on the grounds that God heard him, that God listened to him, that God heard his prayer. Look at what the blind man said in verse 31 of John chapter 9. He said, We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. The implication of what he's saying is that Jesus cannot be a sinner, Because we know God doesn't hear sinners, and yet God heard his request to heal me. Now the theology here of God not listening to sinners, it's based on some Old Testament statements. For example, you can go to Psalm chapter 34 and verses 15 and 16 where David writes this. David says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. David very plainly says that God's eyes and God's ears are attentive to the righteous, but not the unrighteous. Peter actually would reference this very passage in 1 Peter 3, verses 10-12 through to establish his case for doing what is right even in the face of persecution so that your conscience can be clean and Christ may be honored. Peter's point is that God is attentive, that God knows the righteous from the unrighteous. And David's words indicate that God is attentive to the righteous, but inattentive to the unrighteous. You can also go over to Proverbs chapter 15 to verse 29, where Solomon wrote, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. Taken at face value, Solomon's statement indicates that only righteous people will be heard by God. 
This statement seems to be the basis of what James said about prayer in James chapter 5 and verse 16 when he said that the effective prayer of a righteous man can't accomplish much. Although James did not specifically mention the prayer of the unrighteous, his words seem to indicate that the converse of this statement is also true. That the prayer of an unrighteous man accomplishes little since the Lord is far from the wicked. There's also the Isaiah passage, Isaiah chapter 59 and the first two verses. There Isaiah said, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah initially claims that there is nothing outside the reach of God's ear. Then he footnotes that claim by saying that one's unresolved sin, that is sin that has not been atoned for, sin that has not been repented of, that causes God to be distant and hidden to the degree that he is unable to hear that individual's prayers. So Isaiah seems to be saying that anyone who persistently and impenitently engages in sin intentionally creates a situation in which God can't hear their prayers. And so when this blind man claims in John chapter 9 and verse 31 that we know that God does not listen to sinners, he's appealing to David, who said the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's appealing to Solomon, who said the Lord is far from the wicked. He's appealing to Isaiah, who said your iniquities have made a separation between you and God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He's appealing to passages in the Old Testament that indicate that there is a, a, a separation, there is a, a, a hindrance that happens. There is a communication disconnect between the unrighteous and God. But it should be worth noting that God indeed does hear the righteous, but God also hears the pursuers. Those individuals who are searching for him, who are desiring to be right with him, but have not yet finalized that state. I'm reminded of Cornelius. If you go to Acts chapter 10, you have this beautiful story of the first conversion of a Gentile. And Cornelius is that individual. And Luke clearly states in, Luke, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 4 that God heard the prayers of Cornelius. But if you look at the context, the angel that appeared to Cornelius he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. He said that in verse 4, but Cornelius' prayers are heard before he received the Holy Spirit, which happens in verse 44, and before he was baptized, which happens in verse 48. So it's clear in Cornelius' case, before he becomes a disciple, before he becomes a Christian, before he becomes a, the ultimate follower of God in this situation, he's already being heard. But you have to remember in context, Cornelius is already living by the spiritual principles that God has for Christians. He's already in pursuit of God. We find that out in chapter 10 and verse 2. Because there he is described as a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the poor, and he prayed continually to God. Cornelius was in pursuit of God. So he classifies as what the, the, the man born blind called a worshiper of God who does God's will. 
And therefore, God heard his prayers prior to his conversion, if you will. Also consider the story of the Ninevites in the book of Jonah. Jonah was sent to Nineveh in order to call them to repentance. His, his mission, as stated by God, was to arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God was angered by their wickedness, just as he was, was angered by the wickedness of the world in the days of Noah and the wickedness of, of Sodom and Gomorrah during the days of Abraham. In fact, God was so displeased with the wickedness of Nineveh that he was planning to overthrow them like he did his own people, like he did the nations of Israel and Judah when they were far from him. See, when Jonah finally arrived on the scene and proclaimed, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, that was his message, a very short and to-the-point sermon. And yet it worked because the people responded. We're told in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8 that everyone from the king to the peasant, even the animals, fasted. And we're told that in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 8 that they called out mightily to God. That indicates that they engaged in some form of prayer, that they, they turned from their evil ways and prayed for God's mercy. So they engaged in penitent behavior. And they prayed to God. These people who were actively living in sin but now have chosen to change are calling out to God. And we're told in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10 that God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way and he relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. In a sense, God heard them because he knew and he saw their penitent hearts. He saw that they were in pursuit of him. And Nineveh shows us that God hears the prayers of those who might be transitioning toward him, who might have been still guilty of their sin, but they're in pursuit of him to seek forgiveness for it. My point is this. Prayer is a privilege because God doesn't hear every prayer. From the wicked, he turns his face. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't hear your prayer necessarily. See, God hears the prayers of the righteous, and God hears the prayers of those who are pursuing Him, those who are trying to make their life right with Him. But prayer is a privilege, and for that very reason, we should not neglect it, and we should not abuse it, we should not misuse it, we should not abandon it. Prayer is a privilege that we are given. That communication with God is something that is made available to us by His grace. But not only is prayer a privilege, prayer is also a blessing because it is always available. You ever get frustrated when you're trying to get in contact with somebody and you can't? In this day and age where we have a telephone and we have text messages and we have email and we have all these different means of communication, and yet when you can't get in contact with somebody, it's aggravating. It's never a problem with God because prayer is always available. He is always accessible. There is no 
bad time to pray. And there's no situation or circumstance that is beyond the scope of prayer. I want you to look with me, look with me at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, and verse 6, and I want you to specifically notice the wording that he uses about prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, and verse 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul instructs us not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. And I think James echoes that sentiment. Look over at James chapter 5 and look at verses 13 and 14 and see what James has to say about prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you sick? I'm sorry, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. In other words, James says that we should lay every moment, every situation, every emotion, every circumstance of our lives before the Lord. When you are happy, when you are sad, when you are sick, when you are well, when you have a need, when you have all that you need, you should pray. Why? Because there's nothing else we can do in those situations. I'm sorry, not because there's nothing else we can do in those situations. We, we don't go to God in prayer in those moments because there's nothing else we can be doing. We go to God because there's nothing better we can be doing. Prayer is not just a privilege, it's also an opportunity. There's nothing better we can do than to pray. Do you remember what Daniel did when it became illegal to pray? Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. We're told that he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I find that last detail so powerful as he had done previously. When it became illegal to pray, Daniel didn't do something extraordinary. He did something actually quite ordinary for him. That's because prayer was his habit, not his reaction. He was an all-the-time prayer. He understood that there is nothing better you can do than pray. And I think he set the example for you and I. There's absolutely nothing better we can do than pray. And I think that's why the New Testament calls on us to devote ourselves to prayer in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. To pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17. And to pray at all times in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Did you notice the frequency of prayer mentioned in those biblical statements? Devote yourselves to prayer. Pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. It's a constant state because there is nothing better you can do than pray. So prayer is a blessing because it is always available. And finally, prayer is a blessing because prayer is powerful. Honestly, I've probably made this point in a dozen different sermons. 
but that doesn't minimize its importance. The Bible repeatedly teaches that prayer has the ability to affect change. And that's because prayer puts us in direct contact with the one who is in control of this world. See, prayer is a blessing because the almighty, immortal creator permits us, us feeble, mortal humans, to weigh in. I said we weren't really delving into the life of Abraham tonight, but that's not entirely correct. Because I want you to consider the events that happened in Genesis chapter 18 for just a moment. If you go to Genesis chapter 18 and you drop down to verse 17, you'll find out that the Lord decided to share some information with Abraham. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? He's talking about his destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that will happen in Genesis chapter 19. Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do? In other words, God saying, in other words, because of God's intimate relationship with Abraham, God decided to communicate his plan with Abraham. I want you to think for a moment. Did God need Abraham's approval to go through with this? No. Did God need Abraham's input? Before he acted? Not at all. Did God owe it to Abraham to keep him in the loop? Nope. God shared his plan with Abraham simply because God loved Abraham. And the same goes with us. God has shared his plan of salvation, his good news with us because he loves us. And just like Abraham, we've been filled in on God's ultimate plan. And that's a blessing. You know, but Abraham's story doesn't just stop there. I, I want you to notice, after hearing God's plan, Abraham boldly and respectfully makes some requests of God based on his knowledge of God's plan. In, in chapter 18, verse 23, we're told that Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And from that point, Abraham began negotiating a bare minimum number of righteous people that would prevent God from destroying Sodom. Now I want you to think. As Abraham's going through this negotiation process with God, did God grow impatient with Abraham's request? No. Did God chastise Abraham's brazenness in this situation? Not at all. Did God get angry at Abraham for this negotiation process? Nope. God graciously allowed Abraham to communicate with him, to weigh in, to share his thoughts and his concerns and his requests. What God did not allow is for Abraham's will to usurp his own. And the same goes for us. God wants to hear from us. God invites us to converse with him. And that's what makes prayer powerful. And that's what makes prayer a blessing. So prayer is a blessing because it is the way that God allows us to communicate with Him in order to affect change. And for that reason, prayer should never be treated as something that is inconsequential. Instead, prayer should be treated as though it is the difference maker in all aspects of our life. That's exactly how the first century church treated prayer. They prayed with the belief that God was listening 
to their request, and they prayed with the faith that God would heed their requests as long as their requests aligned with his will. Consider the occasion in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was in prison and the church gathered to pray for his safety and to pray for his release. You have to remember that these Christians were in a heightened state of fear. Not much earlier, James was beheaded. And the popularity of James's death among the Jews had caused Herod to pursue Peter. From the church's vantage point, it was a very real possibility that they would lose Peter as well. So they prayed for God to intervene. They did not think that the matter was too big for God to handle, nor did they think the matter was too far gone for God to address. They believed that their prayer could change things. Do we pray like that? Do we pray with the belief that what we're asking of God, as long as it's in accordance with His will, that it can change things? Do we pray with that degree of faith? Do we believe that prayer is that powerful? Prayer should never be treated as inconsequential. Prayer should be treated as if it is the, the difference maker. And prayer should never be treated as though it, it doesn't matter. Even though we know that God's will will take precedence, and even though we know that God is aware of our requests before we ask, that doesn't mean that we should refrain from asking. Remember that throughout the New Testament, prayer is presented as a unique opportunity. For example, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, He said, Ask, and it will be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And in Mark chapter 11, and verse 25, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And He made this statement immediately after talking about possessing a faith that can move mountains. But did you notice, in both those passages, Jesus put the onus on us to ask. We can't look at prayer as if it doesn't matter. God already knows. That's not how Jesus presented it. We are still called upon to ask. John said in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. It's on us to ask. Have you ever thought just how significant the question or the, the, the asking that Jesus does in the Garden of Gethsemane is? There He is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for God to consider an alternative route to obtain salvation for mankind. Asking God for this cup, this cup of suffering that he's about to endure. May this cup pass from me. May you find a different way, Lord. May you find a different way. Is there a bolder prayer in all of Scripture than that. For the Son of God to stand, well, he wasn't, to, to fall prostrate 
before the Father and ask if there's a possibly another way to, to achieve salvation for mankind. In that moment, Jesus showed us what it means to pray boldly, to not be afraid to ask of God. But he also showed us what it means to pray humbly. Because he didn't just ask, he surrendered. Because as you know, he concluded that prayer by saying, not my will, but yours be done. We should never treat prayer as if it doesn't matter, because Jesus most certainly didn't. And he's the one, for, he's the one from whom we are to model our prayers. And let's not forget what James said in James chapter 5 and verse 16, that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James made it very clear that when righteous people pray, it's powerful. And here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is not about informing God. Prayer is not about convincing God. But it is about consulting God. That's ultimately what makes prayer powerful. Because in our consultation with, God's, with God, our prayer has the power to affect change. Either by changing the circumstances that are, so that our requests are heeded, or by changing us so that our will is aligned with His. You see, prayer is not inconsequential, no matter which answer you receive from God. So don't refrain from asking. Tonight I share with you what I see as the three great benefits of prayer. Because I don't want us to ever fail to be prayers like God intended. I know I've shared this illustration with you before, but I'm reminded of a particular tribe in Africa that I read about who in their devotion to God developed very habitual and active prayer lives. And what they would do is they would, they would go out into the, the, the forests or the fields and they would make them their own little prayer spot next to a tree, out in the open somewhere. But they would so regularly visit their individual prayer spot that they would wear down a path to that spot and they would wear down the grass in that location, and you would be able to see, visibly see, where people went to pray. And the amazing thing about that is that over time, these little prayer paths would develop unless you stopped going to pray. And if you stopped going to pray for an extended period of time, then the, the grass and the shrubs and all the vegetation would start to grow back over your path. And what that meant is that the other Christians in the village would know whether or not you're praying. And they would hold each other accountable. They would go up to one who was neglecting his prayer life, and they would simply say, Brother, the grass grows on your path. And that was their way of reminding each other of the importance of prayer. 
How is your prayer life? Is grass growing on your path? The goal of the month of prayer that, that we started is to, to help us be active in prayer, to help us consider praying things that we may not think of regularly. The goal of the month of prayer is to challenge us to consider whether or not the grass is growing on our path. I want to ask you, are you benefiting from the blessing of being heard by God? Are you utilizing the free, unhindered access you have to the creator of the universe? Are you tapping into the most powerful spiritual resource at your disposal? Are you praying at all times? Praying without ceasing. Praying for everything. If that benefit is yours and you're not using it, then you're ignoring an expectation that God has for you. And it's time to stop ignoring it. If you're like Cornelius and you're in pursuit of God, but you're waiting to discover how you become, can become one of his children, well, that opportunity is yours tonight. If you'll confess that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God and Repent of your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. We have a God who's willing to hear us. We have a God who foreknew our need for salvation. Why would we ever ignore Him? Tonight, if you need to become His child, we invite you to come. Tonight, if you haven't been in contact with the Father in a while, we invite you to come. Tonight, if you need some righteous people to be praying for a situation in your life, we invite you to come. Tonight, if you need to stop letting the grass grow on your path for whatever reason, we invite you to come. While together we stand and sing. Oh, do not
lesson. Uh, if you did not have the opportunity this morning to partake of the Lord,